Chapter 14 of Mars is My Destination by Frank Belknap Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter 14 He'd made it plain that he was representing Wendell, but he hadn't come right out and identified himself, and I had no way of knowing exactly what kind of Wendell agent he was. The worst kind, beyond a doubt, but what I would have liked to know took in more territory than that. Was he a replacement? Had he been instructed to step into the shoes of the secret agent the robot had killed in space? If he had, the satisfaction he'd get from killing me would probably exceed the pleasure a run-of-the-mill mental police officer would experience. It would be easier for him to identify with the slain crewman and feel a sense of personal outrage strong enough to make him think of himself as an avenger. The fact that he wasn't wearing a uniform lent support to that grim possibility. When a man has a strong personal reason for wanting you dead, it can make the official reason seem twice as urgent. It could also bring into his face the kind of look that glacial stare was still keeping trained on me. There was only one thing I knew with absolute certainty. Answering his questions would do me no good would only make the danger greater the instant I stopped talking. I'd be signing my own death warrant with a vengeance if I cooperated with him right there in the hospital room and spared him the trouble of having me bound and gagged and smuggled out of the hospital into a big-image interrogation room. Why make him a present of the only card I was holding? Why be that charitable when... God, how silly could you get? If I'd had my strength, or there had been anyone within earshot to dispute his authority, if I shouted for help, a one-in-fifty chance of it, even, I might have been holding at least a jack or a queen, but never an ace, or four of a kind, or a royal flush. About all I was holding was the joker. In some games, the joker can be the highest card in the deck, but not in the kind of game the three of us were playing. It was the third player who was holding all of the really high cards. He was hovering just behind Glacial Stair, with a shroud with my name embroidered on it draped over his arm. He could see my hand clearly, because he was looking straight at me out of eyes like holes in a skull. That scythe and sickle round is almost unbeatable, because of the way death has of just quietly raising the ante until all hope is gone. Sometimes you've no choice but to let him call your bluff, lay your cards face up on the table, and wait for the blow to fall. Sometimes, but not always. Death is a weirdo who doesn't really want anyone to live to a crusty old age, and that can anger you, and there are no limits to what a certain kind of resentment can do for you. You'll take desperate chances when you know the sands have just about run out. I came up out of the bed so fast the electricity my body generated made the sheets crackle. It wasn't the helplessly weak body I'd thought it. Not at all. When I whipped back my arm, I could feel a thrust of power and resilience in my shoulder muscles that amazed me, because it shouldn't have been there. There was no flabbiness or lack of muscle tone. I crashed into him before my feet hit the floor sinking my fist into his midsection and sending the chair he was sitting in skidding half across the hospital room. He clung to both arms of the chair, 
too jolted to straighten up and try to heave himself out of it before I shortened the distance between us by hurling myself directly at him again. I just missed fumbling that crucial follow-up, because my legs were deficient in muscle tone, and they almost collapsed under me before I got to him. I dragged him out of the chair and had him down on the floor and was banging his head against the floor before he could get any kind of a grip on me. I wasn't in the least bit gentle about it. If I had been banging him around for five or ten minutes without stopping, I couldn't have heightened the look of shock and absolute horror in his eyes. The best he could do was twist about under me and try desperately to raise himself a little, thrusting his head forward to keep me from bringing it so violently into contact with the floor. He seemed to be trying so hard to get out from under that I decided to help him. I lifted him clean off the floor and slammed him back against the wall, not once, but several times. I don't know where my strength came from, but even my legs were doing all right now. They were still the weakest part of me, but they went right on supporting me until I'd finished clouding him with something that was just as good as a sledgehammer, the firm wall itself, completely stationary as it was. If I'd been standing behind it, using it as a forward-thrusting shield, his skull couldn't have cracked against it any harder. I suppose it wasn't really the hospital room wall I was clouding him with, because, as I say, it was stationary. But when you're extracting the fangs of a dangerous little reptile who has just threatened you with big image interrogation, and know that your strength may give out at any moment, cause and effect get swallowed up in an urgency that can distort reality. His face was a confused blur for a moment, but a second or two before all of the expression drained out of it, and he slumped jerkily to the floor, my vision steadied and I saw that his look of absolute horror had been replaced by the deadliest kind of hatred. It's always a little jolting, no matter how you slice it, to know that a man who should be incapable of feeling anything but shock and pain can pass out cold with that kind of look in his eyes. I had gone berserk for a moment, but when I have to, when there's some compelling reason for it, I can cool off fast. Calm down would be a more accurate way of phrasing it, for I knew it would take a long time for the way I felt about Glacial Stare to turn from anger to enlightened scientific detachment. He couldn't really help being what he was, because what is known as the bastard pattern gets grooved into the poor unhappy devils who are afflicted with it way back in childhood. They injure themselves more than they injure others, even though what they do to others in the process often doesn't bear thinking about. Right at the moment, Glacial Stare had injured himself, but not deliberately. I had done most of the injuring for him, but there would be times when he'd punish himself twice as remorselessly, and he'd go on doing it to the end of his days. If there's a hell on earth, the sadistic bastards occupy it, and it's unscientific to feel anything but pity for them. It was equally unscientific for me to feel anything but concern for my own safety right at the moment, because I was still trapped in a hospital room with all the physical weakness I had felt a few minutes before creeping back, and with no guarantee that if I walked out of the room in a tottering condition, I wouldn't run smack into another Wendell agent. Quite possibly they had the hospital surrounded, and when they saw what I had done to Glacial Stare, they wouldn't talk with me as long as he had done before I had belted him unconscious. 
they'd either blast me down cold-bloodedly and on the spot with one of the compact little handguns dr mileaway had discussed with joan on the ambulance how many days weeks away that ride seemed or gag and bind me and carry me out on a stretcher glacial stare himself no longer worried me he'd be out for as long as it would take me to decide whether it would be better to go staggering out of the hospital room and trust the first person i collided with not to betray me or flop back on the bed and shout for help from there you do crazy things sometimes when you're that uncertain there wasn't a chance of his coming to immediately but just automatically i crouched beside him and rolled one of his eyelids back with my thumb the glazed pupil that stared sightlessly back at me gave me a jolt because it could have meant that i had killed him i thrust my hand under his shirt and felt around for a heartbeat and found no trace of one his skin was clammy and very cold then i saw that he was still breathing his chest rose and fell and there was a sudden dull thumping where my palm was resting all right that took care of him he would live to turn vicious again but it didn't take care of me i was still in the worst kind of danger and sounding off might be the unwisest thing i could do but what chance would i have otherwise someone would have to know or i'd likely as not take all the wrong risks i had to fight off the weakness that was coming back and be ready for anything even a set to with another wendell agent or a half dozen of them but i had to have an ally someone who knew the hospital as well as i knew the lines of my palm i had to be briefed in advance or i'd have no way of knowing how good my chances were how long could i stay on my feet despite the weakness if i decided on a desperate gamble and attempted to get out of the hospital alive did any of the doctors have enough authority to oppose wendell if i told them who i was and they believed me or did wendell have so much power here they'd have to actually see the silver bird to take risks on my behalf which would bring the entire staff an exceptional courage citation from the board if i lived to set the record straight and where was the silver bird in my secret code identification papers not on my person all of my clothes had been removed and i was wearing just a one-piece inpatient garment with no pockets in it it stood to reason they'd gone through my clothes before attaching a tag to them and filing them away on the off chance i might live to reclaim them in an emergency case they'd have displayed that much curiosity at least it would have been no more than a routine procedure unless commander littlefield had warned them not to tamper with my clothes and to return them to him immediately no no that was crazy the chances were he'd remove the silver bird and the identification papers from my inner breast pocket before they'd bundled me into the ambulance and they were now safely in his possession or perhaps joan had them it was all pure guesswork but i was fairly certain of one thing they hadn't found the silver bird or glacial stare would never have been permitted hell why not face it i couldn't even be completely sure of that if wendell was all-powerful here the doctor's hands would have been tied no matter how much they knew about me i'd have to be in robust health and on my feet with the silver bird gleaming on my shoulder to overcome that kind of power actually i didn't think commander littlefield had told them anything 
It was the kind of secret he'd guard with his life, unless he had reason to suspect that Wendell would send an agent to kill me before I had a chance to tell him whether or not I thought the danger was great enough to justify abandoning all secrecy. Immediately, in as a simple safety precaution. He'd respect my wishes in the matter, and could certainly be excused for not having had the foresight to take maximum precautions on his own initiative. It could very easily be argued that he should have done so, that he had blundered badly. But I refused to condemn him for keeping the secrecy obligation so firmly in mind that he'd failed to realize precisely how fast and ruthlessly Wendell could move. And even if I'd been ringed about with security precautions, Wendell might have succeeded in convincing the hospital staff that the Silverbird was a lead counterfeit and Littlefield an anti-colony conspirator. A lot of suspicion hovered over the heads of the big skyship commanders anyway. A sinister, shadowy aura woven of lies and slander that accompanied them everywhere and greatly curtailed their authority when they attempted to intervene in the affairs of the colony. All that passed through my mind as I stood staring down at Glacial Stair and helped me come to a decision. If I lived to get out of the hospital, I'd be on my own with a vengeance. But Littlefield was still my best bet. I'd be completely alone in totally unfamiliar surroundings, facing a challenge such as no man had ever faced before and survived to tell about it. I'd have to make my way through the colony on foot, a stranger in a world I'd had no time to adjust to, and get back to the skyship somehow, even if it meant talking my way into the good graces of criminals, and hiding in dark alleys, and learning new ways of thinking and acting, the hard way, but fast, and resorting to every dodge in the book to keep one jump ahead of the Wendell agents. There'd be a hue and cry, and they'd be out for my blood. I had no identification papers, nothing. I'd be as naked and vulnerable as the day I was born in more ways than one, except that I'd be a grown man in body and mind with a grown man's resourcefulness. I could only hope I'd prove equal to the task and equip myself well and succeed in silencing the skeptical part of myself that was shaking its head in furious disbelief. I had decided to make no attempt to get anyone into the room by sounding off. Much as I needed an ally, the risk would be too great. No one had come rushing in, and the fact that I had been able to prevent Glacial Stare from uttering a sound by taking him by complete surprise and battering a skull against the wall until he folded was a point in my favor. Not to regard it as a break and take full advantage of it would have been foolish. Slipping quickly from the room and taking my chances made more sense than waiting around for an ally to come to my assistance, because he might not be an ally at all, but another Wendell agent. I was deliberately shutting my mind to the greatest danger, the big one. You're deliberately shutting your mind to the big one, Ralphie boy. Getting back to the skyship will be tough sledding, every foot of the way, and you'll have to dodge and weave about, and you may end up dead in the darkest of Martian alleys, half blown apart by an atomic handgun. But the big one is getting out of the hospital itself, and you're afraid to let yourself think about that because you know how heavily the odds will be stacked against you. You don't know what the hospital is like, how big it is even. You don't know how many corridors there are, or how many alarm bells will start ringing the instant anyone sees you. There may be a dozen nurses to a floor, and doctors constantly on the move from the operating rooms to the recovery wards, 
and a Wendell agent or two on guard at the end of each corridor. All the exits may be blocked, with Wendell agents armed with atomic handguns just waiting for you to show up running. You don't even know how far the hospital is from the center of the colony. Only that, just before you blacked out for the last time in the ambulance, you seem to be quite a distance from the heart of the colony. Even if there are no guards at any of the exits and no one tries to stop you, how will you be able to find your way back to the spaceport without a compass if the hospital is 10 or 15 miles from the colony? And all about you is a waste of desert sand, and there are no outgoing ambulances standing by to give you a lift. High up in one of the rooms, there'll be a Wendell agent you've belted into insensibility, and he'll be stirring and calling out for help, and when they come swarming into the hospital room to lift him up, the nurses and the doctors you can't help but blanch a little when he reminds them just how powerful the Wendell Combine is, you'll have only one thing to say to them. Get me the central police agency on the telecommunicator. You'll be out in the red desert, fighting your way toward the colony through a sandstorm, perhaps. But ten or twelve minutes after that call goes through, you'll hear a droning overhead, and that will be the end of you. The hell of it was, no man ever needed an ally more desperately. I needed a confederate, right at that moment, in the room with me, if only because I couldn't hope to cheat death for ten minutes running if I ever reached the streets of the colony without some colony-type clothes to replace the one-piece inpatient garment I was wearing. A doctor's white smock wouldn't do, and neither would a nurse's uniform. I didn't have the right bill to pass for a nurse, even inside the walls of the hospital, not to mention the craggy cast of my features and the heavy growth of stubble which covered my cheeks. End of chapter 14